on strike against irrationality, on strike against illogicality, on strike against bullshit, on strike for reason and positivity. You are in Gold Sculch, and this is the Anto Fox. We have philosophy, ideas, discussion, and above all, a break from current events and whatever is going on outside the Gulch. I've been writing a lot this week, uh, but that's writing for the book. Um, so I've not actually had time to do any podcasts or any articles, which is why today's podcast is the uh, first material for a week. Uh, certainly that would be published. Uh, the book has doubled in size uh, since last week. So uh, material has been worked on, um, uh, but of course will be published uh, in the future. I mean, I, I hope that would be next month, but um, it could be in two months. Um, I'm not sure exactly when yet, but we'll find out. I'll keep you posted. Uh, that is being worked on very fruitfully. But today, uh, I thought I would talk about something slightly different. Uh, this is a philosophy show. Um, Gold Gulch uh, focuses quite a bit on philosophy. Among other things, uh, philosophy is really supposed to be the bedrock of most of it. In a more objectivist way uh, than um, a, a lot of um, professional philosophers might use the term philosophy. But today, uh, I thought we'll, men we'll mention we'll mention famous philosophers uh, here at the Gulch. We'll talk about them. Um, in general, we'll be discussing other subjects through the lens of philosophy. But today. I'm going to talk about, well, actually, I mean, that is that is what we're doing today. Uh, we'll be looking at uh, Villard Quine's uh, web of belief and how it takes or why it takes uh, a long time for people to change their views. This is one of the most common quandaries uh, that I think a lot of people experience and suffer through. Uh, which is that you know people around you, people you have to deal with, uh, believe something, and you know you show them some evidence or you give them some arguments, and uh, you know they don't budge. Uh, I mean, you could look at what they believe. You think there are contradictions there, and they don't change their mind. Right. And this is also, I mean, people who people who hold up you. Uh, themselves are probably not going to change their mind too much um, on these particular beliefs either. So this can cause uh, a lot of frustration. Uh, it, it can end friendships. Um, it can create uh, an impasse in many many different uh, working relationships. Uh, I mean, if you're if you're working in academia or you're working in areas where uh, these topics need to be discussed, or this could be like in this could be like in um, business culture, company culture, where you have a company, the political views, the general world views of people within that company tend towards one particular viewpoint. Uh, this pushes out others, or they don't. They don't agree, but they keep quiet. Um, 
I mean, in those situations, uh, this question is going to come up. So how can how can Villard Quine help us? Uh, who was Villard Quine? Um, Quine was a philosopher's philosopher. Outside of analytical philosophy, he's not very well known. Uh, if you were to poll if you were to poll modern philosophers working in the university, they would often include Quine as one of their favorite philosophers of the last 100, 200 years. Um, he's one of the most interesting to read. Um, I would say that he's... Apart from that, though, um, I mean, outside outside the university, even people who are fairly well read won't really know exactly who he was. Um, it's interesting. Uh, politically, he was politically he was uh, a conservative. Um, he didn't really discuss politics very much um, openly. Uh, I'm not sure if he discussed it a lot with people privately or other uh, philosophers on a personal level I'm not, I'm not too sure he mainly wrote he mainly wrote about uh, analytical philosophy working in logic this will be one of the reasons why he's not really well known outside of these circles um one of his most famous essays is called two dogmas of empiricism where he uh, criticizes something called the analytic-synthetic distinction. What does that mean exactly? The analytic-synthetic distinction is saying, so or claims that certain statements are truthful or untruthful, depending on their logical truth. For example, the, the definition so uh cats are felines well depending what the definition of uh, feline is that's going to be correct or not uh whereas you have a synthetic statement which requires empirical knowledge to verify or to uh, discredit it so for example uh, for example, the cat is owned by George. Well, uh, you're going to need to question George. You're going to need to um, look at the paperwork for, for cat ownership, whatever that's going to be exactly. Now, Quine... The analytic-synthetic divide is very, uh, very famous in philosophy. It's one of the fundamentals of analytic philosophy. I think that's also why Quine is is quite popular amongst philosophers. Um, he's fun, you know. He 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 challenges something right at the heart of of philosophy. Um, you know he dares to go there uh, that makes it that makes him interesting 
Um, he, he has, uh, you know, he has a certain radicalism in that way. Um, and I mean, he really challenges, you know, he really challenges uh, a lot of the tenets of philosophy. But he claimed, uh, he claimed that the analytic synthetic uh, distinction, which is, which has been pretty much accepted by, by most philosophers uh, for centuries, um, he claims that uh, it, it, it doesn't really exist. Uh, that there cannot be, there cannot be uh, an account of an analytic statement uh, that doesn't beg the question. Um, his main argument uh, about this is, relates something to do with uh, something to do with definitions and uh, how, how one would. Um, verify them I, I we're not going to go into that here really so what what this means is that even even if you have uh basic logical statements uh he claims that these are these are the same as uh synthetic statements and so near the end of the essay he describes belief uh in, in the web of metaphor a web of belief so every belief, including including logical beliefs, mathematical statements, um, they are all connected to all of the statements uh, out on the outer edge of the web that are based on uh, empirical claims. You know, maybe this is to do with uh, uh, the best football team. Maybe it's to do with um, you know the uh, hibernation habits of bears in, in, in North America or whatever it were whatever it may be. Um, you need to go and get empirical evidence to try to make those claims and this um, all links back to the center of, of the web, which contains analytical logical statements. So for from the point of view of philosophers, uh, that's that's deeply interesting. But outside philosophy, Without without looking at analytic uh, synthetic statements, this is a very useful way of looking at people's beliefs in general, their their views on the world, what is ethical, what is most desirable, what is most profitable, or, or the best way to achieve happiness or to achieve justice or to achieve a more ethical world whatever whatever it may be so this can help this can help when trying to understand why is it that what why is it that people don't change their views or it takes them such a long time to change their views one of the one of the primary reasons for that then is it's very similar to the it's very similar to the analogy of buildings that I use for values and goals in one's life. If you're looking at this web of belief, people can people can change the beliefs on the outside of the web more easily. Uh, they are beliefs that 
might not they're not going to affect the beliefs underneath so much i mean technically i suppose i suppose you could say that that uh, often they, they might make you question the beliefs underneath but beliefs near the center of the web um are more fundamental uh, if you have a list of logical arguments so we've got a b therefore c and then we take c and we put it into another argument you know um, c d therefore e well if you have if you have a and b there you you have fundamental beliefs if they are if they are wrong then c is wrong and c cannot be used in the arguments that produces the conclusion e and so on and so forth so at the end of this if you have um, x and y therefore z well you know we if we uh if we criticize if we disprove x or, or y then we don't have the conclusion z but if we you know uh, it's it's not going to cause big change in one's uh, viewpoints and in one's complete outlook, whole philosophy, whole um, notion of, of the world. Whereas if one challenges the statement C or A, something much further in, it's going to disrupt this whole logical logical chain. Uh, upon which all of one's beliefs are formed, and so we—I mean—we uh, we see that in, uh, for example, I mean it could be anything. Let's take um, morphine as an example. Uh, maybe there are different grades of morphine. It's not really something I know too much about. Um, you have uh, demodrol. Um, so someone listening to this will will be laughing at. Um, how badly I mix all of this up. But I mean, for example, Demodrol is um, a painkiller that is similar to morphine. It's um, part of it. It's the same overall substance, isn't it? Um, so maybe you have uh, doctors disagreeing over that. You know, uh, one doctor says, well, this this morphine solution is is far better than this other one I, I've been finding given to my patients in terms of um, the quickness that their pain is relieved. Uh, I mean, if 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 these doctors um, these doctors have been using morphine for quite a while as a painkiller, they've been administering it to patients in their area that's generally accepted it's also what patients often want it's not a it's not too big a change for them to uh take out one morphine substance or um, form of morphine and substitutes in a different one that might not that might take a while as well but uh it's not too big a change in one's fundamental views on medicine and so if evidence is provided they're more likely to accept that but then when you dig a little deeper uh, for example you know um, claims over saturated and unsaturated fats 
which ones are better for you. Like, let's say carbohydrates. So carbohydrates at the moment get a get a bad rap. Yet, I mean, when I was younger, when I was younger, our our GP would be telling us uh, eat, eat more carbohydrates. I mean, that that was the message that that I remember back then. Avoid fats generally. Eat more carbohydrates. And now the same doctor from 20, 30, 40 years ago, you know, the, the, the same doctor, uh, graying, uh, whiter hair, uh, might now be telling you, telling you different. They might be saying you should limit your carbohydrates. Um, again, if, if doctors see different evidence or that evidence is, is, uh, more widely accepted, then uh, they themselves might change to that. But when it's when it's a more fundamental viewpoint, it's going to be a trickier a trickier thing to change because that's going to start changing a lot of other things. If that's true, does that mean that that beliefs I have about digestion, beliefs I have about uh, food quality, or um, or how the body digests food? Uh, are they different? Uh, does that mean that the advice I should be given, not just in this area, but you know, for other conditions, is that going to have to change? And then, of course, you you get right down to the right down to the fundamentals. So you take so you know you, uh, so someone like um, ignore Semmelweis, uh, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Um, for anyone who doesn't know that, uh, he was the Hungarian doctor who suggested that doctors uh, wash their hands uh, more often, especially washing their hands uh, before delivering babies. I mean, today that's a fundamental, that, that would be a fundamental belief uh, within like nearly every doctor, you know, or whatever they, you know, even if they work in alternative medicine, um, they're going to support, they're, they're probably going to support that, right? Uh, the, the idea that a doctor washes their hands. Even if, even if doctors have uh, different views about how often, you know, they should sterilize their hands, if they should use um, uh, antibacterial soaps, or, or maybe this one's not quite the same, or should I, you know, they're going to they're going to agree that uh, before you before you uh, perform surgery or you perform an operation like the delivery of a child, what well, one should wash one's hands. Um, but but actually, yeah, back back in the day, uh, that's that's that wasn't the case. And Semmelweis suggested this because he saw. Now, can I remember this correctly? He was seeing something like one third, three times was it, or one third more, um, deaths uh, during the delivery of a child, uh, stillborns, or death of the infants or the mother, from doctors who were coming down from the morgue, who had just been in the morgue handling dead bodies, as opposed to doctors who went into Performed the delivery of a child and had uh, not been at the morgue. 
I think the tricky part here was this was before the theory of bacteria. This was also before, uh, for example, like John Snow and his famous claim uh, that uh, cholera was coming from the water in London uh, and one or two wells uh, must have been turned off in order to try to verify that. I mean, Semmelweis was absolutely vilified for this. Absolutely vilified. And, um, I mean, he died in a mental institution. Uh, I, I forget how old he was. Um, and there were, there were quite a few doctors who were in support of his ideas. But, um, well, he, he completely overturned everything by, by claiming that. And, of course, these are the A's, the B's, the C's uh, in our logical construction of the world. If you change some of these things, it's going to change uh, everything else. So um, I don't know if that, I mean, I don't know if that helps in dealing with the frustration that can happen when, when dealing with, maybe it's people in the family uh, you disagree with very strongly in, in outlook or health matters or what one thinks is best for the world. But really, if you look at it, if you look at it that way, each time you hear someone make claims that you know you you think this just doesn't make any sense, or their worldview is contradictory, why don't they? You know, why don't they change this belief? Well, if you look at it that way, the the evidence that's brought to them is not going to change some of the more fundamental beliefs. Those are the ones that probably need to change for them to start questioning anything else. So that leads us to, I mean, why don't people, why don't people change those beliefs? Because a lot of people do. Uh, a, a lot of people do. I mean, a lot of people of a, of a conservative or libertarian classical liberal position have always believed the same uh, general beliefs that they've always had. It's just that their, their beliefs about where that is best expressed might have changed. It'd be like Clarence Thomas. I remember listening to him on several occasions talking about, talking about these topics. Um, because when he was younger, he was generally... A bit more of a socialist. Uh, he wasn't the conservative that he became. Um, I mean, you listen to him talking about uh, reading the Constitution, uh, really starting to to read it in depth and understand it. I mean, as he said, it, it's it says everything. It says everything there that uh, he believed in. Uh, he said it. You know, it expresses it so well. So it's not really like it's not really like his his fundamental values change. Um, I mean, becoming more conservative in general. It might also have been again, he want he wanted what he believed was best for people, and that's that's not changed. But uh, how you think that comes about uh, might might um, might change. So I mean, this is like saying. It'd be like, uh, I mean, how how best to how best to end poverty. Well, uh, if you believe in the 
in the market. I mean, why do you believe in the market? There might be ethical reasons for that, but in general, you believe it's the it's the best way to to create wealth. And um, I mean, I can always hear Tom Sowell saying, "How, how you know what, what's the um, the antidote to, uh, to poverty? Wealth, you know. So, so you know, wealth needs to be created. Um, but I mean, someone who uh, is, is more of a socialist, they they want to end poverty. I mean, they claim they do. Uh, I believe a lot really do. So why you know why do they believe what they believe? Why do they profess socialism as an answer well they, they believe that's the best way to to that objective to, to meet that objective of course uh, um, one has to ask well if you see evidence that contradicts this uh, why would you continue to hold these beliefs and it's the same there like um, Sowell used to say, um, well, he used to say, I mean, he still would say, wouldn't he? Uh, he I mean, b before he went into his PhD thesis, uh, he was he was a Marxist. Um, his supervisor was Milton Friedman. He said he went into the PhD program as a Marxist, spent on nearly a daily basis um, um, many a time arguing with Friedman over this. Uh, he left the PhD program uh, still as a Marxist and uh, just, just one day, uh, sorry, no, um, one week working for the government convinced him that uh, he was wrong, uh, that Marxism uh, made no sense. Um, and, and the main reason for that was uh, one of those fundamental, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't arguing about, well, you know, in the Congo, uh, this economic uh, system has been in place for this many years. And if we look at this data here, it suggests that uh, wealth inequality is increasing. Or if we look over here in Singapore, you know, they they have um, uh, this government program, but there's also this market system. And you know, well, how how much is it a market system? And well, you know, we look at the the uh, cost of living there compared to it's nothing like that. Uh, this this challenged one of the fundamental beliefs, uh, one of these A, Bs, or Cs, in his uh, worldview, his um, web of belief. And he, I mean, he took that pretty quickly, certainly compared to a lot of people, I think. Um, it, it was a challenge about uh, people's incentives. Uh, he said working in the government, so he started to understand uh, people's incentives and that in, in the government, uh, they would have their own incentives. They would have their own personal incentives. The idea that... Um, they're doing it for the people, and that's going to take away any personal incentive. Uh, it just wasn't true. That could, I mean, that 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 could be a good topic in itself uh, about the the difference between getting getting evidence uh, from experience as opposed to um, empirical evidence argued over. But uh, I mean, for for our purposes here, it's 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 a good point. 
So these fundamental beliefs uh, could be very difficult to move because either they are very it's not just going to be for the theoretical construction of the world i mean if you if you really if you're really really interested in that you really want to find out what's true what's not true i mean although although people some people care about that more than others i mean everyone's a human they're going to have psychological barriers to potential truths uh, it's like with Darwin and uh, his his uh, infamous wasp, whatever it was exactly. The wasp that kills, sorry, uh, it's a wasp that um, maims and paralyzes its victim, some sort of insect, I'm going to assume. And it paralyzes this animal. It doesn't kill it completely. It leaves it alive so that uh, the wasp's offspring can eat this animal at its freshest. I believe that they eat it while it's still alive. And uh, this is a, an off-quoted example of uh, something Darwin mentioned that he found very difficult. Um, because I mean, it fitted in with uh, all of his theories, all of, all of the evidence he was building, the arguments he was making. It, it, didn't, uh, it didn't supplant any of the arguments regarding natural selection. Sorry, um, it didn't supplant any of the premises that, that made up the uh, conclusions of, of natural selection. Rather, for him, uh, morally and ethically, it was just a difficult thing to 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 swallow, to accept the the cruelty of nature uh, at times. I think the the it's these kind of things that uh, have more effect on people. We you know people you disagree with. It's very you know it's, it's very tempting to say, but they are. You know, they're silly, they're foolish. And, I mean, although, although there are people in the world like that, I mean, humans are foolish. You know, even, even the best, best humans uh, have elements of folly uh, time and again. Um, I mean, I would, I would wager that uh, with most people, when, when their beliefs are challenged uh, and they, they don't budge, you know, um, uh, the government needs to spend all of this money that's going to stimulate the economy. And then uh, months, years later, um, you know, they've spent billions, trillions of dollars. I mean, uh, to a lot of people, that's, that's, that's all they see. You ask them where the, where the money comes from. I mean, I remember someone years ago, I remember when I was younger, just listening to someone complaining about government policy and saying... You know, the government has, has all this money. It has all this money tucked away. You know, I know they have it, blah, 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 blah. You think like, well, there's no question there about where does that come from? And so, of course, you, you get all this spending that requires more printed of money. You end up with inflation. I mean, logically, logically, um, 
questioning the beliefs that lead to this, it, it might not be, for a lot of people, I don't think it is a logical thing that prevents them from changing their beliefs here and then overturning their conclusions. For, for example, that uh, Keynesianism is, 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 is desirable. I think it's it is often other things. It's psychological. It's the psychological uh, ramifications of a change in belief. This can be connected to some extent with ethics. I think that yeah, for a lot of people who, for example, they move away from Keynesianism, they find it. It can be um, saddening. It'd be things like, I suppose, I mean, that comes with the acceptance that things need to be done, um, they can't be done by the government, as like an easy answer. I mean, I think about one person I spoke to, uh, semi-related to this topic, uh, I spoke to somewhat recently, and he, he, was, he was talking about uh, the government spending money and he, he was he wasn't really happy with the government policies uh and relating to to tax uh he, he was saying that he, he thinks that the government uh, should should invest uh, this much money rather rather than taxpayers being able to have it themselves so to to which to which i replied well I mean, you, if you have that money yourself, you can invest it. It doesn't need to be the government that invests it. Um, people can invest that themselves if, if these investments are so good. I think uh, he, under, I mean, he understood the logic of what I was saying, but it's the other implication there from uh, a change in these premises uh, at the at the inner rings of, of the web of knowledge. Um, I mean, I can't say for certain, but I think for him, the the idea that uh, there is there is a government, there is an entity there that will make smart decisions. What they're going to be, I don't know, but they'll do it, and it'll. And of course, this this is what happens at the market. I mean, I don't. I don't know much about um, vehicle design, uh, what, what's going to be best for new vehicles in the future, but, but I can rest assured that experts in that area uh, are more likely, they're pretty likely to make good decisions in that area. Um, because of course, if they don't, they're gonna go out of business. If they really know what they're talking about, they're gonna take a risk, they're gonna be rewarded. I mean, of course, well, the government uh, invests your money. Well, it's you know, it's got to take that money from somewhere. The investment goes wrong, but well, it doesn't really matter because you know they're not going to go out of business. So I think when you're dealing with with people, maybe you've spent a lot of time over the last few years, last decade. I don't know. Uh, you've spent a lot of time trying to convince people about something and you know they don't budge or it's a very slow process and this is quite frustrating the other thing as well that's i mean that shows quite a bit about you i mean if you uh, 
you care about doing that, you know, why do you care? Well, why are you spending so much time trying to make these people? Well, I mean, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that because otherwise, how, how do ideas get out there? But that, that's, that's another story in itself. If you've if you've been banging your head against a brick wall, it feels, um, or you need to know when is the time at which I don't, you know, I, I, I don't need to carry on. I should give up. Or uh, I've said, I've said, you know, I've said what I, I think, whether whether these people listen or not, uh, that's their business. It's also really related to the beliefs that other people have. So those people around them, maybe it's in their um, industry. You know, if if these if these fundamental premises are challenged how are the people around them going to react as well uh, is, is that important within their um, immediate environment i suppose that brings us back to you know you're, you're working within an industry uh, you're working in a particular company so a lot of companies i mean we've seen this over the last five years ten years um, a lot of companies have uh, their own company culture that includes uh, political outlook or political affiliations and tendencies of, of most of the staff working there. Um, I found from like, if, if you're in that environment and, and certain premises are never going to be questioned, that you're, you know, you're, you're never going to spend much time thinking about it. Uh, there is also the elements of conditioning or maybe it's a slight state of panic i suppose that that comes with knowing that if you know if you're in you're in the canteen or you're in a room uh, surrounded by these people this topic comes up you have a disagreement about it with them how are they going to react i mean for a lot of people if you have these strong views already um it's it's not going to change change how you look at things it's just going to change how you just you know how you decide what you decide to do in those situations well you know how much do i say how much do i engage with these people etc etc but i think for, for those people that don't have that they don't have they hold a fairly similar positions uh similar a similar quinean web um in those situations they're, they're going to be less likely to question um, those premises right at the heart of the, of the web or you know maybe even halfway through uh, uh, uh in the middle rings of, of the of the Wynian web i think in the next show we can look at a few examples maybe look at this um applied to a few examples on topics that are important about like you know going to going to university well you know maybe some listeners here uh, you're younger you're contemplating that or maybe you're a bit older but you're contemplating um uh, changing careers or something like that we can we can discuss all this relating to some topics like that in future podcasts uh, at which point I'll leave it here then and um, have a good week.
feel free to stick around in the gulch while you're here for as long as you wish and i'll see you the next time